the following podcast is intended for adult audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The Iron Realm, Chapter 44, Wizard's Bargain. What happened had been sudden, and only now was the fire at last dying down. Iona and Paola stole forward, hunching cautiously over the beastmen, confirming that they weren't moving anymore, and once this was determined, each girl, desperately hungry, began to free bites of flesh from the corpses with their knives before eating the raw meat nervously, greedily, as the others came in. Amazar accompanied Treya and Lilena into the room. The wizard took more interest in the gear that was there, and though there was little, his practiced eye soon discovered what he took to be a spellbook. The unicorn girl, Nim, made a sound when she discovered the water skins, and not long after, Treya pulled a metal disc out of the fire. It had been on the ground in the midst of the beastmen, and Treya expected it to be marked by the heat and by the flames. But it was not. As it cooled, Treya took some time with the shield and brushed away all the soot to reveal a fine finish. The shield fit easily onto her arm, and she recognized the shape of a cross upon it, small but plain, at the disc's center, and she found it to be a match to those crosses present on the sword she held. There must be a connection, said Treya, to the beastman that had the sword. Indeed, said Amazar, stroking his chin as he stepped nearer. This shield is no ordinary kind. Perhaps it has some power. Perhaps, said Treya. The wizard went nearer them, and then, addressing Treya and Lilena, he said, Fair elven maidens, I did not have the opportunity before to congratulate you on the new family that you are planning. It is plain to see that you are two strong women who will produce equally strong offspring. Thank you, said Lilena. Your support means a lot to us. Support? Ah, yes, well, in regards to that, said the wizard, I am not a stranger to the ways of little ones. I have been present at births before, at the human community where I formerly dwelled. Indeed, I have come to understand that, late in pregnancy, a woman is, how shall I say it, somewhat vulnerable, as are the children when they are small. If we come together, said Treya, then these vulnerabilities can be overcome. Yes, indeed, my fine females. Yes, indeed, said Amazar. And I 
would like to publicly lend my full and unrestrained support to your ambition. Lilina put an arm on Treya's shoulder as the other woman narrowed her eyes. What do you want? What I want, said Amazar, is only the best for you and your elflings. We have some time yet. We can expect the little ones perhaps when? Nine months? Or ten? Two years, said Treya. For elves, it is two years. Splendid, said the wizard. Then we have nothing but time to discover a more suitable home in which to raise the joyous little ones. I humbly propose to you that the citadel is the best defended of places within the maze. I assure you, the citadel is secure and therefore the optimum place for raising children. Solus has already given his approval to the priority of finding this outpost. And there are a few others, I think, that may be made to come around. Lend your support to the search and lend your strength to the community we have built there under my master. And surely then I can see fit to lend my enthusiasm to your pending offspring and the new hardships that they will bring to our tribes. Treya and Lelena were silent for a moment as the wizard smiled at them expectantly. Perhaps we can discuss further with Orson, said Lelena. Yes, said Amazar. Do discuss it with Orson. I would not have it any other way. Back alongside us for the 44th episode, Travelers. I greet you all, along with friends of the show and the highly honored, legendary powers. If you have not already found it, then do obtain the relic right up from the Iron Realm website's Extras tab. Role play and partake of the Iron Realm legend, or perhaps just acquire it for your own game instead. It seems the elves have given up the search for the elvish homeland, and the wizard is quick to redraw the lines of power in pursuit of his own ambition. Meanwhile, more about the Skeleton Paladin's magic sword is to be revealed, as well as her identity and the rewards that come with it. All this and more 
on tonight's Chapter 44 of the Iron Realm. The Iron Realm, copyright A.B. Lenzo, is the world's first play-by-podcast RPG campaign. A portion of tonight's female voice performance was drawn from audio originally created by and offered by Ashley Eddy through freesound.org under the Creative Commons Attribution License. Further information can be found at theironrealm.com or at theironrealm.blogspot.com under this episode's show notes. My sincere thanks as well to you, Ashley, for your masterful contribution to the Iron Realm cause. Iron Forge. Tonight, the profile of the sword once owned by the skeleton paladin, Joan of Arc. This relic is known as the Sword of Heaven and is also known as the Fierbois Sword. Class, Longsword, World of Origin, Earth. No wielders, Joan of Arc, Charles Martel, St. Catherine of Alexandria. Composition, Divine Steel. Length, 49 inches. Weight, 3 pounds, 5 ounces. Base damage, 1 to 8. Enchantment, plus 1, plus 1. Description, the Sword of Heaven is a well-forged but modest sword with a blade and hilt of steel. The weapon was originally found covered in rust, though this was brushed away with ease upon its discovery, leading some to believe that the material used in its construction might well be divine in nature. Upon the blade close to the hilt, there are five simple crosses. The weapon appears always to be in perfect condition, no matter the number of battles it has seen. The sword is paired with a simple but practical leather scabbard, which allows the sword to be worn on its wielder's back. History This weapon was bestowed with divine status by God the Father when it was used by an enemy to behead the Virgin Saint Catherine of Alexandria in Earth's fourth century. This act released Catherine's soul to heaven the instant the blade touched her, and in a blinding flash of light, the girl's body and the sword were gone. This miracle, as well as others performed through her life, converted many to the path of God the Father, but this would not be the final appearance of the sword. St. Catherine would visit the earth and deliver the blade into the care of a powerful warrior, Charles Martel, who was the grandfather of Charlemagne. 
Charles defeated an enemy invasion in the 8th century at the Battle of Tours before ultimately, under the guidance of Catherine, returning the sword to her chapel in the village of Fierbois, where it would lay and rest for hundreds of years before the sword's location was at last divinely revealed to Joan of Arc, who would take the sacred weapon to victory at the French city of Orléans, where, within a short time of her arrival, the siege was lifted with other military victories to follow. Joan was ultimately captured by her enemies and held in the city of Rouen, and although many attempts were made to rescue her, she was ultimately put on trial and burned at the stake for heresy in the middle 15th century. Never once did St. Joan recant her faith in the Lord God of Heaven, and so she was rewarded with eternal life. The sword itself was kept safe by her, as was done by Catherine before her, ultimately to be delivered into the Iron Realm, where its sacred power could be wielded again in the name of the Almighty. Known power. This plus one magic longsword is able to deliver a hand as of healing effect once per day when held by a person of good heart. A prayer to God can unlock this power, as can a state of compassion or love on behalf of one who has come to harm. The sword must be touched to the individual who is to receive the healing, and this may be any part of the sword, the hilt, the pommel, or the blade. It takes a full round to deliver the effect, and so, needless to say, the sword cannot be used to perform a combat action on the same round upon which this power is called. It is also worth noting that this power may be used by any character type, and the use of the Sword of Heaven for healing is not considered to be a violation of a character's type restrictions. If you have successfully determined the identity of the skeleton paladin wielder of the sword as the celebrated saint Joan of Arc, then congratulations, you have met the Maze Master's challenge. Do reward yourself appropriately for this feat of intellect. Tribal Matters On the 18th day of Primaris, at 1.30pm, Bardar opens the door to allow entry for Treya, Iona, Lilena, Amazar, Nim, and Paola, who bring the spoils of their patrol including the corpses of two beastmen, a kill that is received with gratitude by the hungry tribe. They are in the kobold barracks, 41, 27, 43, 31, on level 1 alpha 
of the maze. The spells currently memorized are as follows. Treya, Aura Against Evil, Kailana, Invisible Shield, Amazar, Door Denial. The group's healing powers have not yet been used, whilst Nora, 6 out of 9 life points, and Twyla, 2 out of 6 life points, each suffer soundlessly in a deep, deep coma. Bardar and Temek hammer the door shut with spikes, whilst Treya, under torchlight, takes a moment to display to the others the findings. I think this shield is magic, says Treya. It was not touched by the fire. Books taken from the Beastmen appear to contain magical scrawls and symbols. Six magic scrolls are secured from these, though their contents cannot be known at the present time. Solus and Stockholm get to work at once, carving flesh from the body of the first Beastman. The group gorges on it, while what is left is given to the goblins. And the group also takes water, having refreshed their supply through Treya's victory. Some water is given to the goblins as well and the catatonic Yuname are carefully, so very carefully, given water and fed mouth to mouth by Temek. I'm not sure if they're coming out of this, says the halfling, and he puts his hands on their chests. Their hearts are still beating. He tends the females further, giving each his full attention, before then producing a blade. Their blood's gone stagnant, says Temek, and he moves to draw the black dagger across their arms. At this, Nim begins to so. object until the halfling bows before her piously and says, Daughter of Sylvanus, your sisters are dying, and nothing else has worked. These two need to be balanced again. It's God's will. Len goes to Nim and quietly reassures her as the halfling searches their bodies for the best place to make his incision, while Len prays over them. There, says Temek. Just a little bit of blood. We're gonna take that evil out of them. We're gonna drain out the evil, and they're gonna get better. Don't worry, Nim. They're gonna get better. It is at this time that suddenly there can be heard an inhuman sound attacking the northern door. Let's go, says Solis. All you men, let's have your weight against it. Solus and Orison and Stockholm and Amazar all go to the door, pushing their weight against it. Whatever it is on the other side seems superhumanly strong. Yet they are challenged from within, and the spikes may yet hold. 
a roll for them. Whatever it is on the other side fails to come through. And after some time, though they suspect there is waiting prey within, they give up the assault and retreat again back into the maze. Two more rolls until 10 o'clock. The day has been relatively quiet, spent mostly in the dark, and Nora and Twyla show no improvement as they lay still upon the bloodied mattresses. As the time approaches 10 o'clock, a roaming creature is indicated coming from the south. Mm, the door won't open. Yeah, you're right. Seems to be stuck. An attempt is being made on the door. As this happens, the group can hear gruff voices from the other side. And it sounds like they are trying to work their way in. We don't have to do anything, says Solas. If they can't make their way in, they'll probably just give up and go away. There is no light lit, but Treya and Orson keep an eye on the door, whilst Amazar faces in its direction, ready with his spell. Door denial, just in case. The group can hear the sound of hammering. And whatever it is on the other side clearly has some plan to defeat their defense. The group sees a sword slide under the door, penetrating through the leather barrier, being moved side to side in an attempt to dislodge the spikes. I'm going to give it a one-third chance. Rolling the d6 now. The creatures on the other side toil with their strategy for 45 minutes, and while they manage to poke many holes in the leather and even dislodge one of the spikes, they ultimately are unable to defeat the defense, and so they retreat into the maze. For the 24 hours uninterrupted rest, I'm awarding one life point to Nora and Twyla. Meanwhile, Treya approaches Twyla and, filling her heart with faith, bestows its healing power upon her. Five life points restored, which puts Twyla to her maximum of six. Nim delivers her healing power upon Nora giving her one further life point. Starting at 11 o'clock, the night's watches are conducted, with Yona and Paola performing goblin watch throughout the night. Let's have some rolls. The night is mercifully uneventful. With the watches completed, the group rises while Iona and Paola take sleep, and the priestesses and spellcasters take their prayer and 
study. And as the study is done, Solus and Stockholm carve up the remaining beast man, hoping that the meat is yet not too far gone to sustain them. The meat is stringy, cut into small strips, and taken by tribe mates and goblins alike. Nora and Twyla are now three days catatonic, and they each must roll for death by disease. A gnat one will kill them, while otherwise a failure will cause them to suffer twice the life points they lost yesterday. With the mounting power of this disease, which will kill them first. The rolls. Nora needs a 12. A 5. She suffers 4 life points. And Twyla needs an 11 to come back from death. A 7. Twyla suffers 4 more as well. They're not coming out of it, says Tamek. More blood. We have to take more blood. Yet this time Nim stands in his way, shaking her head slowly. Brother, that's enough for now, says Len. Let's let them rest. Amazar, Orson, and Kailana drop their spells, instead memorizing Reader of magic. Each casts the spell and examines the Beastman scrolls. Three of those found are scrolls of Reader of Magic, whilst two are the spell Ventriloquist, and one is the spell of Illumination. The Reader of Magic scrolls are passed into Amazar's care, whilst Kailana takes the illumination spell and tries to add it to her spell book. A roll versus her intelligence to do so. She needs a 12 or less. A 6 will do it. The scroll is immolated and illumination is added to Kailana's spell book. Amazar needs a 15 or less to acquire ventriloquist. A 9 he does, taking it as his scroll is destroyed. Orson, needing a 12 or less, tries for Ventriloquist 2. A 7. The final spell is acquired. Barter takes some time fashioning new leather door stops and making sure that all the spikes are in tight. This he finishes by 10 a.m. before the groups must again make their daily trek for water. Treya's group first. Treya takes charge of the magic sword and the unusual shield whilst also taking Nora's gear. None in the group are dressed in anything heavier than leather, though they each take their weapons and basic gear. Into the maze they go. Treya, Iona, Lilena, Amazar, Nim, and Paola make it to the steam cavern where they are able to take water from the walls 
as they may. And Trey's group returns successfully to the Cobalt Barracks, allowing the group of Solus to also make a march to the steam room. Roaming creatures, Solus's group returns successfully as well. Ultimately, the group makes it all the way to 10 o'clock p.m., and it is time for another night watch. For 24 hours rest, I restore a life point to Nora and Twyla, and Nora has another restored by Nim. Treya uses the power of the sword again, this time on Twyla, for her healing. Twyla recovers two more points, bringing her to five. The watch is performed identically to nights before. Starting at 10 p.m., we begin. It is during Amazar and Bardar's watch that a roll is indicated. Hobgoblins coming from the north. Will they take any interest in the glyphs? They have not. The hobgoblins do not discover it and they soon depart. One more roll till morning, and another roaming creature check. This time from the south. This one's on Temek and Kana's watch by lantern light, with Iona and Paola nearby. Something is trying the southern door. When it doesn't give, they try to push harder. Let's see if they succeed. They don't. Sounds like Beastman, says Tanuk, while Kana puts a finger to her lips to silence him. Before long, the Beastmen depart. Soon the rest of the group rises as Yona and Paola take their eight hours rest. Time to deduct five more oil flasks for that which was used through the night. I'll take this from Amazar's store, leaving him with still three. Kaylana memorizes Invisible Shield. Amazar, Door Denial, and Orson, Invisible Shield. The Uname failing now have their fourth Death by Disease roll upon them. Failure robs either one of eight life points. Each hovers so close to death, it seems unlikely that either one can pull through. We hope beyond hope for Nora, who needs a 12. Nat 20. For this phenomenal roll, I'll say that Nora's recovery happened instead during the middle of the night, and that by mid-morning, she is back upon her feet again. Ready for more. Twyla needs an 11. Can she succeed? A three. The frail Twyla suffers eight life points, taking her down to negative three. She is not dead yet, and the others have healing remaining. Though her role tomorrow must succeed, for even at maximum life points, there's absolutely no 
way that she can survive a 16 life point hit. It is the 20th day of Primaris, with the goblin face-off tomorrow, and the word to then comes down as to whether Twyla will live or die. Tune in next time, travelers, to the Iron Realm, and remember, play hard or go home! Iron Realm! How are the gods appeased? More blood. More blood. More blood.